for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. We're going to read Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, and we're going to do our last session on, we've been looking at the whole of March on the church, uh, the church, and uh, this is our last session, we're going to look at the future of the church, the future of the church, and uh, Matthew 16 If you've got your Bibles, if not, have a look at the screen. Verse 13 says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Which is the ultimate question, isn't it? He said to them, Sorry, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And God will bless the the reading of his word. I read on Friday in one of our national newspapers that Christianity in Europe is dying out as young people are, the headline was, as young people turn away from the church. And they gave some statistics, and it was in the garden as well, it was in the, in the mail as well, um, that 7% of young adults uh, in the UK, 7% are Anglican, uh, 6% are young Muslims, and 10% because of the influx of people coming into the country from some of the Eastern European countries are Catholic. 7% Anglican, 6% young Muslims, 7% is coming down, the Muslims are coming up, and the, te- the Catholics are about the same 10%. And the Guardian says, Christianity as a default, as a norm, is gone, and probably gone for good. Or at least, the Guardian says, for the next 100 years. And uh, I looked through, and it's in this uh, article, as to the most non most non-religious countries in Europe. I wonder what you think the most non-religious country in Europe is. Well, uh, in that country is Czechoslovakia, or Slovakia, as, as we probably know it now. 91% are non-religious. And Estonia is not far behind on about 80%, and Sweden comes after that in 75%, and then Holland in 73%, and then the UK in about uh, 70%. 68, 70% of people who say they have no religious belief. Isn't that amazing? See, we talk about France is dark. Well, let me tell you, the UK is darker. <laughs> and, uh, and it's not good to be high up that league table. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever watched a film with somebody, uh, and they haven't seen it, but you have. And you'd like to, I mean, 
Susan doesn't like to watch films again and again, but I like to watch films and see them from a different angle, um, which doesn't make for good harmony in our house. <laughs> I want to watch stuff again. Susan doesn't. But I wonder if you ever watched a film with somebody and they don't know the ending, uh, but you do. And they don't know who the good guy is, and they don't know the good guy wins, uh, and they don't know it's all going to be okay. They don't know who lives and who dies. And they get more and more worried as the tension in the film gathers and gathers, and they get more stressed as they get involved in the film. But you know they don't need to be so stressed, because you know, having seen the film before, actually it's just going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay because the good guy wins. Well, that is a bit like being in the church. <laughs> it's a bit like being in the church. I wonder when I read these statistics, you're thinking, the bad guy's going to win. <laughs> the bad guy is winning. And uh, yet we as Christians, if you don't know, I'm telling you this morning, uh, the good guy wins. Uh, Jesus, as if you don't know, is the good guy. And uh, he says, I will build my church. And the, the bad guys, the gates of hell, will not prevail against my church. The gates of hell are against our church and every Christian church. He says, hell will come against my church. Every time Jesus spoke, he prophesied. But it's not going to be victorious it will not prove more superior or more powerful from what I, against what I am trying to build because Jesus says we win. Because he wins, we win. How does he know that? How does Jesus know we win? Because he's eternal. He's the Alpha and he's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. And you can take every single word he says as truth. You either believe every single word or you don't believe. There's no point in believing any words that he said. Everything he said will come to pass. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants these things which must take place shortly. And one of those things is hell will come against the church. Hell has been coming against the church since early Acts when the church was established. And as we look across our world, hell is constantly coming against the church. And hell uses various people and organizations. Hell uses governments who pr promote non-Christian values, who bring in immoral laws. Hell uses leaders who have an anti-church agenda. Hell uses uh, leaders who are atheists. Hell uses people who hate what the church stands for. Hell uses culture. Hell uses the media. Hell uses society. Hell will use anything and everything to come against what is the most precious thing to God. He'll even use Christians <laughs> to come against what is precious to God. And sometimes as the church... We're made to feel, or we're inclined to feel, that we're only one step away from the cliff edge, just as those articles that I quoted said. That somehow, at some point, in some years to come, that the church, the church will no longer exist. 
You will no longer come to a building like this. You'll never, no longer come to cathedrals and Baptist churches and Methodist churches, Catholic churches, any churches you like, because they will no longer exist. There will be no longer people of faith. That is what hell is aiming for, and that's what God is going to prevent. Let me just give you some background to the verse which I read. It said, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, Now, the region, that region called Caesarea Philippi, comes from Caesar and Philip. See, when Herod had been a king, when he had been the king of the Palestine, he died. He divided the land into three, so his three sons would have a share each. And Philip was one of those sons. And he was given an area called Paneas, P-A-N-E-A-S, or Paneas, or whatever way you want to pronounce it, which was in the northeast area, and he now had control of this area. So Philip decided, I'm going to change the name of Paneas, and I'm going to change it to Caesarea Philippi. Caesar, we're going to honor Caesar, and I'm going to honor myself, Philip. So it became Caesarea Philippi, honoring himself and Caesar. Isn't it interesting when we honor ourselves and we honor ungodly leaders, hell takes the opportunity to come in. In comes the demonic. So this area of Caesarea Philippi actually became a hell hole. The demonic took over that area, and it became the most wicked place in all of the country. So Jews would avoid this place. They would not want to dirty their fingers, dirty their hands being in that area. So they would avoid it. It had two temples, two churches, if you like. There was a temple to honor Caesar, and there was a temple to honor the Greek god Pan. And this became the worldwide headquarters of this evil religion. And next door to the temple was a huge crack in the ground, like a huge cave, and it was told, and it was, the, it was the story there, that this is where the dead spirits came from, up and down from Hades, from hell. And it was to this area, it's to this region, to this hell hole, if you like, that, to this area that loved evil and hated good, that the Jews wouldn't go near, that Jesus takes the disciples straight to this hell hole to a place where religious people wouldn't go. And it's in that hellhole he declares that he will build his church. Right in front of the most demonic place in the country. He says, I'll build my church upon the rock. The rock being the revelation that Jesus Christ, or Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's the eternal church that you as a Christian belong to. And it's the good news winning side. And a church, whether you feel like it or not, is actually, (laughs) I'm just looking at you, is actually full of winners. You are winners. And winners who should be ready and willing to help people rescue them from hell. People who are losing, whether they know it or not. I always find it amazing that we in the church aren't always aware that we are the winners, and the people in the world don't always realize that they are losing. 
You understand? They look like winners and we look like losers. Reality is we are the winners and they are the losers. And that's the greatest achievement, I think, that Satan's ever uh, managed. He's managed to convince the winners they're losers and the losers that they are winners. But the Bible says, what shall it profit a man that he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And the world is out there trying to gain and gain and gain and gain everything in their world that they can possibly get. And the Bible says you're going to lose your own soul if that's what you're worshiping, if that's what you're after. And yet people still try and gain the world to the detriment of their soul. So doing well in the world's eyes is winning, and doing not so well in the world's eyes is losing. I wonder what your definition of winning is. (laughs) What would winning look like to you? What would it look like? What's your goal? What was your goal last week, last month, last year? What was your goal? What would being successful with that goal look like? What would be success to you this week? (laughs) Some people think just surviving, (laughs) just getting through. What would be success? Usually success is a little bit more. If I could just have a little bit more money, if I could have maybe a few more bedrooms in my house, or one more bedroom, or more time off, or more members. Some church leaders might say, I wish I had good, I, I, good. success would be more members. Success would be more customers to my business. Success would be more praise, people being happy with me. Success would be more better results, more toys, nicer car, bigger house, whatever it is. We usually want a little bit more. But we are not of this world. And sometimes I have to keep telling myself, I am not of this world. I'm of another kingdom. So for us as Christians, losing can be winning. And winning can be losing. Sometimes less is more. Some, one day Jesus, somebody came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. That, I mean, we would all love that, wouldn't we? People say, I want to be a customer of yours. I want to support you. I want to do this for you or that for you. So somebody came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus, as Jesus often did, he said the most obscure answer. He says, the foxes of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's like, yeah. Well, I just said I wanted to follow you. He says, yeah. But the foxes of the air have nests, and I have nowhere to lay my head. He was immediately going to what was important to that man's life. Does that mean Jesus is into poverty? No. A thousand times no. But he's into first things being first. He says, seek first the kingdom, and all these other things will be added unto you. The problem comes when our goal is things, whether it's a man, whether it's a woman, whether it's a child, whether it's a grandchild, whether it's a job, whether it's promotion, whatever it is, when, you, when God sees you putting that first, he says, hang on, hang on, hang on. You've got it wrong. Seek first the kingdom. So the problem comes when our goal is things and not the king of kings and lord of lords. So what's the future that we need to know about this church? And 
the church? What's our future? Well, number one, as I've already intimated, if you read Revelation, you realize we win. We win. We win. Jesus is the winner, so you get on Jesus' side, and you win too. That's true in life. (laughs) That is so true in life. I've tried both. Let me tell you, when you do it Jesus' way, it's much easier. It's better. Jesus is the winner. Jesus is never on your side. Don't ask Jesus to join your side. He won't. Sorry to intimate that to you. He will not join your side. He'll ask you to get on his side. It's bad theology to ask Jesus to get onto your side. He wants us to be on his side under his rules. And we come back when he comes to reign for a thousand years. We come back with him. He doesn't come back with us. You get it? (laughs) So we are on his side. He went to prepare a place for us. We don't prepare a place for him. Our job is to prepare us for him. And the place he prepares for us is a reward for all that we have done for him here. So the future is good. We win. For a local church, national church, international church, global church, we win. Second thing that we need to take note of is in terms of winning and in terms of the local church and the future of the local church, it needs to adapt, not adopt. Adapt, not adopt. Churches evolve, but their theology shouldn't. The way we do church changes. The places we, we meet changes. The times we meet just changed last night, didn't it? <laughs> changes. The style in which we have church changes. All that's obvious, but never try and change biblical theology. The best thing you can ever say, say is the Bible says. Not Jack says, Fred says, the Bible says. Then you're secure. It never changes. The postmodern church is often trying to trying hard to fit in, and the church is in decline. But if you look at churches, I look at the most persecuted churches in the world, and these were the answers. North Korea, number one, has been for many years, is now getting caught up by Afghanistan. And it's nearly equal in terms of the most persecution going on in the nation. North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, Iran. The church in those countries do not fit in. The government makes sure that they don't fit in. But you know what's happening in these countries? The church is thriving. Church is growing. Church is happy under that persecution. There's no large buildings, there's no poster campaigns, there's no media ministry, there's no podcasts, there's no alpha courses, but there's rapid growth. Isn't it amazing? Because they've not adopted, they've adapted, they meet in all sorts of secret places, but they've not adopted what their government would tell them to do. But what they do do is they passionately live out their belief system and their relationship with Jesus in that nation. And guess what? Rapid growth. I looked at something else. The future is good if we, number three, persevere. 
It's not a nice word in today's modern society. Persevering. Life can get hard. Life gets busy. To do life is costly. To make anything that you want to make is costly. Sometimes it's sweat, blood, and tears. But who told you life was going to be easy? If your mummy or daddy told you life was going to be easy, they weren't really been a very good mummy and daddy. Because if you speak to anyone of any years, they'll tell you life is hard. It's been hard. And we have to learn at certain periods of our life, in certain times of your marriage, in certain times in your job, or all sorts of situations, we need to persevere. Old-time Christians were great at persevering. Old-time Christians were great at going through stuff. But modern Christians, often, we want out. Out of things. Give me a pill. Give me a pep talk. Give me something to get me out of this. A quick exit, a quick solution, a quick answer. I've found in my life, God's not like that. He's just so not like that. He won't give you a quick pill. He'll say, no, no, I'm going to take you through. Yea, though I walk through. Through, not out, through. And God takes us through stuff. Why does He take us through stuff? Because He wants to build us up. He wants us to grow. He wants that little faith that we've got to grow a little bit more. So maybe that's one of the reasons the church and the persecution, the persecuted church is growing. Because when we go through stuff, we grow. Perseverance is really underestimated. And winners persevere. And losers give up when it going gets tough. When the going gets tough, the tough, you know that nonsense. But it's true. You have to keep going. You need to persevere. Number four, we get smart. We get smart. Often Christians don't think. But we need to get smart. Last year, Sue and I attended, and we'll be going soon, our yearly pastors and leaders conference. And one of the leaders spoke about the changes happening in the church. And I don't have time to go through everything that he said. But he, he, he talked about how the church used to be a, like a weekly event. That everything was gauged around that event on a Sunday morning. Your whole week, your whole Sunday was gauged around you coming to church. People looked forward to hearing a word from God, from the pastor, the leader, the minister. Now he says, we have YouTube preachers, podcast preachers. And then he says, now people who are not thinking so bright come as an as immature way, come to church for the pastor, for the leader, to just to affirm and tick the box that they've heard during the week. Does he agree with whatever your podcast is? They've already decided what they want. They've already decided what they believe. Now, is my pastor going to tick that box and confirm or deny what I've already decided? He spoke about how the church used to be about holiness sanctification, justification by faith. Then it came about, well, how can God bless me? What are you going to do for me? What does your church do for me? What side of church do you have? Do you have, let's tick a box, think for the young people, think for the toddlers, do you have a midweek meeting, do you have tick, 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 or you'll do for me. Because we've become consumers. <laughs> you understand? How can you enhance me? 
How can you, church leader, church, make me better? But in the old days, it was, how can I serve this church? How can I help you get the gospel out? Now he says we're in an age of spiritual pluralism. Church people hear many voices. So many voices, they don't know who's this who. I, something, you know, they'll say to you, I heard this and I don't know where. And it's not because they're getting older. It's because they're hearing so many voices coming. And we can overdose, if you like, with so many voices, worship leaders, Bible teachers, and everything else. And we want, and we want the local church to validate what we've heard online. It can get that crazy. And we need to get smart and realize that your needs and my needs are not met online. <laughs> really aren't. My, my needs are met in the body of the local church. When you have a baby, or when you get ill, let me tell you, Joyce Meyer ain't bringing a meal around. <laughs> Trust me. T.D. Jakes won't be sending you some flowers. Bill Johnson won't be dedicating the baby. It's people here, locally, in this church, who'll gather around, help you, pray for you, send the flowers, bring the meals. It's all them. So often I think the enemy can use something brilliant like, and I listen to podcasts and everything else, and, but they can do, the enemy can use that to make us not treasure my own partner, my own family, my own church family, my own church building, and the enemy says, yeah, but, you, but they're not just not quite as good as, you understand? And over the years, I've had people say that to me. Well, your church is great, but it's not as good as such and such. You understand? And the enemy will do that. It's like somebody come along to your husband or wife. He's good, but he's not as good as me. <laughs> he's not as good as him. Maybe he's done that. <laughs> so we need to get smart. We also need to get ready. And I'll finish with this. We need to get ready. Jesus is coming soon. Trust me. You say, well, they said that for years, and they have. But let me tell you, when you look at your world, you know, anybody who knows, anybody who reads the Bible knows Jesus is coming soon. And it's his church his universal church, his real church, not Hillsong Church, Freedom Center, Potter's House, whatever church you, or Bethel, or whatever. It's not all of them that will go. It's the church. All of us, together, the church, the true church. Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. That means it's happened. You understand? not saying, I come quickly, and you're saying, well, is it, is it next, week, next week? No, I quickly. It happens. Done. And all the messages and all the preachers you've ever heard, it's too late. It's happened. You're either gone or not gone. You're either with him or you're not with him. Behold, I come quickly. Never think the future doesn't come. <laughs> when I was young, it's like the future was you know, out there somewhere. When I was in my teens or 20, I used to think 30 was so old. So old, 30. 
And uh, when, in fact, when I, when I was 12 or 13, and my brothers were turning 21, 22, I thought, 21? 21? And then the next thing you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. My father died at 90-odd, and he said his life was just like, and it is. The Bible says that. Your life is so quick. It's so quick. And life goes quicker than you think. Thank God, if you're a Christian, you are in the church. Thank God you're in this local church. Thank God you have some time left. I don't know how much time. There's somebody in here who has the most time left, and there'll be somebody in here who has the minimum time left. None of us knows. My father, when he was in the 90s, used to see people away who was 30, 40, 50s. And he, I said, you're still standing, Dad. Well, he said, I'm not standing, I'm sitting. <laughs> and he was. We have some time left to serve him, to honor him, to take out his name. So as T.D. Jake says, get ready, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming soon. And you'll never be able to say to a God in heaven, I didn't know you were coming. Because I'm telling you, if you've heard it for the first time or the thousandth time, he is coming soon. So we need to get ready because we are his bride. And because we're his bride, we win. So we should adapt to this world, but not adopt the things of the world. We need to learn to persevere through tough times, hard times, persecution. We need to get smart. We need to think as well as just acting. And we need to get ready. David Cameron said when he was resigning, I was the future once. Remember him saying that? I was the future once. Your time comes and your time goes. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus is the future. He's the past, he's the present, he's the future. And his future is my future. Is he your future? I started this morning with some negative news about what the Daily Mail and the Guardian has said. Let me give you some encouragement. As far as this local church and churches, many churches like us, which somehow we go under the radar when they take these statistics. There's more young couples attend this church than older couples. More people in their 20s and 30s than in the later years. That does not happen. I came along to the Connect group here the other night, and uh, they were gathered around these two tables. And I looked at them, and there was one woman, one young woman, and about seven or eight young guys. That goes against every statistic I quoted you at the beginning. Many of you shouldn't be in church, according to the Guardian, according to the Daily Mail, according to these statistics. You shouldn't be, you don't exist, but you're here. We have people praying. There was another statistic, I can't remember how many it was, a small percentage of people pray. But we are a praying church. We are a, as we've seen this morning, a worshiping church, a praising church. We are are not normal. (laughs) We are abnormal. You're unusual in your street because you love God, you love Jesus, and you follow Jesus. You are abnormal. And as far as the news is concerned, you don't exist. But let me tell you something. We are the future. 
We are the future. Why? Because we have a future. We have a future. God will one day take you by the hand and take you into your future. My mother, my, sorry, my grandmother, when she died, she was in her deathbed, and often those days they had deathbed experiences because they were not drugged. They were, they were physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually be going, going between this earth and towards eternal life. My grandmother was in her deathbed. The whole family gathered round and saying their goodbyes, and it was obvious she was going. And as just before she drew her last breath, she suddenly looked into the corner and said, Jesus is here, and reached out her hands and went. That's eternity. That's what the media doesn't tell you. That's what your neighbors will never talk to you about. They'll never talk to you about death. But death is the most promising, exciting, enthralling thrilling experience for a Christian because we get to be with Jesus. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word. More than anything, Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. You never, ever have told a lie. You've never lied to us. You've never pretended about different situations and about as we go through life, love, you've never pretended, Lord Jesus. You've always wanted the best for us. And you tell us to come and follow you. Lord, I thank you the future of the church, the future of this church is bright. The future of the church is we are winners. We have a home being prepared for us right now. And one day soon, Lord Jesus, maybe today, you're coming again. Help us to get ready. Help us to prepare. As the Bible says, make sure we've got enough oil in our lamps. Because Jesus is coming soon. Thank you for your church, Lord. I thank you for every single person here, Lord, who's a member of this church, who seeks to serve this church, who seeks to honor you through this church. I give you thanks, Lord, for every single one of them. The love for you, the love for this world, to serve this world, to proclaim the good news to this world. Help us to realize, Lord, that you're for us and you're with us and you want the best for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take our final song. Let's stand. For more information about our church or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcenter.com.